Okay. So I'm going to be loud. Um, there's no amplification other than my voice. So if you're chatty with anybody around you, it's going to be real hard for them to hear. But I'm good at being loud, so we'll make it work just fine. Today we're finishing up. Well, not finishing up. We're going to do some review of our class we had last time whenever we were talking about when and how to fight, how to fight properly as Christians. I promise I'm not angry or shouting at you, even though I am shouting at you, literally. So let's translate that through together. So I got a lot of Bible verses today. We're going to be talking through many different pieces, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but before we get into that, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you give us an opportunity to study your word and to learn from it, to submit to it and delight in it. I pray that we would teach us, Lord, we pray and help us to be wise in how we deal with the world around us, faithful in how we handle your word and help us to win others to you. In Jesus name and all God's people said, Amen. all right, pop quiz, name some Bible characters that fought. David, good. Who else? Paul. How did Paul fight? He wasn't scrappy, though. David was a man of war. He killed people. How did Paul fight? Paul fought with his words. Who can name a can you name like a famous altercation that Paul was in that he was involved with? Well, it was, yeah, with the Jews a lot. That's true with a lot of Jews. But there's one that's even more well known than that. With Peter, right? Remember, Peter refused to eat with the Gentiles, and Paul says in the book of Galatians that he opposed him to his face, which means what? That they had a big old, strong, healthy fight. And at the end of it, Peter repented, and that's good. So we can see there's a lot of fruit that comes from a, an engagement like that. Now, last time we talked about some of the things that we would be afraid of doing whenever it comes to fighting. Why is that? How do we deal typically as human beings with conflict? What, we avoid it, right? We avoid it for a lot of reasons. We avoid it because we want our personal peace. We avoid it because we don't want to make a scene. Um, now, I'm not saying that this is a general description of every single person. Uh, some people have the opposite problem, which is everything is a fight, right? And so we, we got to remember that there's a, there's a middle ground here for us. To, we don't want to be the people who solely avoid conflict. And we don't want to be the people who are only always looking for a fight. We want to be consistent in what? How, how, do, we, how do we fix those two problems? How do, we, how do we prevent ourselves from being the folks who are always looking for a fight or being the people who are always avoiding a fight? How do we fix those two things? We get wisdom. Where do we get wisdom from, Jesse? From the Bible. That's where we get wisdom from. Okay, that wasn't my fault. That's good. No, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't trying to blow my speakers up or something while we're sitting here. All right. Can you think of any other Bible characters that fought before we move on? Anybody? Any other stories from the Bible of fighters? Who was it, Ro? David. Very good. <laughs> good job, honey. What about Jesus? Oh, yeah. yeah, Jesus was a fighter. What's a, what's a famous example of Jesus fighting? Flipping over, tables. Flipping over tables inside of the... Now, I want you to like place yourself in that situation for just a second, right? 
I appreciate you. I do. So we see Jesus, put yourself in the shoes. Well, let me say, not say the shoes, but put yourself in that particular time in that particular place. Jesus looked around inside of the temple and he decided that things were bad enough to where it would be righteous for him to go out, grab a whip, come back in, beat people with it and flip some tables over. And that was a good example, right? Like we need to understand that the, the hippie Jesus who only like ever is loving and warm hugs and, you know, sloppy wet kiss or whatever. That's not the full orb of Jesus. Jesus at times deemed very perfectly acceptable scenarios to beat on people and throw furniture. Right? We got to keep that in our heads whenever we're reading the stories of Jesus. I think sometimes we get so used to a story that we don't, we don't pay attention to it. We don't actually realize what's being said in it. All right, so we don't want to avoid conflict. We want to get used to it. We want to get comfortable in it. There's always going to be conflicts. But if, you pursue, if you're in pursuit of a peace-filled life and only a peace-filled life, you need to repent, okay? Because if you're a Christian... There's going to be plenty of times where the Bible has called you to do something that is in opposition to what the world around you will deem acceptable. Perfectly normal. Are y'all tracking with me? Okay, so don't avoid conflict. Get used to it. Get comfortable with it. What's the other problem that we talked about we had whenever, in terms of conflict last week? Do y'all remember? So we sometimes will avoid conflict, but we'll engage in conflict sometimes too, but only, only when? When we get mad. Right? There's a lot of times that we only engage in conflict when we're hot. All right, you, now I'm going to say something. All right, from, a, from the get-go, that disposition is wrong. Okay? All right, you've got me there, fine. You want me to say something? I'll say something. Argument lost already. We, we've got to get to the spot where when we engage in conflict, we're engaging in an even-keel emotional disposition, not one that just responds emotionally and not one that just avoids it all the time. Jesus' church needs to be able to take a punch in the face, amen, and keep your composure. Have you seen the way that the world around us operates? We talked about this a little bit last time, the idea of getting somebody wants to punch you in the face. If you're in a fight with somebody, the best place to get punched is, well, the worst place, is in the face because it's disorienting, and then you just swing the haymaker the whole time, and the other guy wins. It's the same thing that goes into us having an, having, entering into conflict with somebody who's attacking Jesus' church. If they get you razzled enough to where now you just throw haymaker comments, nuke comments, you're not being measured and careful in your words, then you've already lost. You're, you've lost the ability to think clearly. In fact, there's a great book. This is not a Christian book. But the principles apply. It's called Crucial Conversations. Have any of y'all read that book before? That's a good, it's a good general leadership book. It's you know, not a Christian book, but the principles apply. It's called Crucial Conversations. The idea that, that we should be able to maintain our composure, not let our emotions take control of us in order for us to enter into a conflict properly. All right, that's just a little recommendation for you. So don't avoid conflict get used to it, and don't get emotionally provoked. And when we're in conflict, what do we need to know how to fight? Jesse said it earlier. We need wisdom. We need wisdom from the Lord. And we get wisdom from his word. And where does wisdom start? The fear of God. That's right. That's right. Now, I want to describe a couple of things, review real fast from last week before we get into our new stuff today. Um, 
The Bible talks about those who just seek to stir up strife, those whose disposition is just to cause problems, to, to, to throw things around, to, to create issues. You don't want to be like that either. You don't want to have a disposition of a troublemaker. And one of the ways that we talked about this last time was it's kind of described in the same way that the drunkards are described, right? Uh, Jesus turned water into wine. Wine in and of itself is not evil. God gave us all kinds of good blessings to a joy and moderation. Amen. But the guys who are drunkards are abusing God's gifts, okay? God has given us the tool of conflict in order to build his kingdom rightly, to be able to say to somebody, hey, I love you, you're very wrong, Maintain your composure, fight a little bit about it, and then move on and grow and, and continue to, here you go, honey, and continue to build the kingdom of Jesus. We don't want to just be people looking for a fight all the time. We don't want to be those strife stirrers, those strife makers. We would rather, much rather be somebody who can pursue and follow the Lord and all those things. Okay, that's it. We're done with that review. Do y'all have questions about any of that before we start the new stuff? Do you have a question? I love you. Thank you. All right. There are times when the Bible makes it very clear that Christians will be loved and will be hated by the world around them. I got a handful of Bible verses for y'all to look up. Somebody grab John 15, verse 18. Somebody grab John 15, verse 18. Who's got that one? Raise your hand for me. John 15, 18. Who wants it? Okay, Kelly's got that one. I need somebody to get Romans 8, 36. Who's going to do that one? Stephen's got that one. I need somebody to get John 17, 14. Who's got that one? John 17, 14. We got it in the back right there. Okay, John 15, 18. Kelly, read that nice and loud for me. Who's talking? Jesus is talking. Jesus is making it very clear that he was hated by the world. And he says, if you're hated, it's going to be all right. I was hated before. Romans 8, 36. Go ahead. For whose sake, for whose sake are we being killed? Can y'all hear back there when he reads? All right, Romans 8, 20, 36 says, As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. For whose sake? Jesus' sake. So Jesus, there's a whole lot of conflict so far centered around Jesus and following him. Do you see that? For your sake we are being slaughtered. For your sake, we're being persecuted. They hated Jesus first. Therefore, of course, they're going to hate his people. You see this following thing very clear. Christians, well, we'll get there in a second, actually. Somebody, John 17, 14, who had that one? Read loud for me. The world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am of the world. So there it is again. Hate, persecution, attack, violence against them. We're being killed all the day long. The Bible makes it incredibly clear that Christians who live Christianly will be hated and persecuted by the world around them, period, full stop. You can't get away from it. It's there exhaustively clear in the scriptures, but... There are also times when the Bible makes it clear that we should be thought well of and honored by the people that are around us. First Timothy chapter three, verse seven says, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace 
into the snare of the devil. This is the general disposition of a Christian as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 21, For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Honored, loved, regarded well, hated, persecuted, killed. All the same people group. You see? All the same people group. Both things should be happening. Hated, loved, persecuted, honored, killed. So when is it supposed to be which? Right? That's the real question that we're trying to ask here. When is it supposed to be which thing? When is which thing supposed to be true? If you're faithful and you're fighting to follow Jesus in all of life, then there, is going to, there are going to be people who will hate you for that. Now, why do you think they would hate you? Let's just role play, think through this real quick. Why would the world hate the followers of Jesus? Because they don't understand who God is. Yeah, but I'm going even before that. That's true. That's true. They want to be God themselves. Well, they want to, but 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 I'm getting, I'm, I'm even more fine-pointed than that. Why would they hate you, though? Give me the real practical reasons. What is the reason that you in your everyday life would be hated by someone else because you follow Jesus? How do we remind them, buddy? By worshiping Jesus, yes, amen. We're almost there, okay? But how do we remind them that they're in sin? You, you tell them, yes! Okay, there it is. That's the big point of conflict, you see? What's that weird expression that was in Christianity in the 90s? Preach the gospel always. Use words when necessary. That is some crackpot nonsense, okay? What brings faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God. You see? If you don't have the word, you're not going to be able to give them faith. I just live my life quietly and peaceably all the time. No, if they're going to hate you, they're going to hate you because of something you did or said to them. Nine times out of ten, it's because of what you said to them. Why did John the Baptist get his head chopped off? Because he told Herod to stop it. Right? Herod put him in prison and his daughter did some nasty stuff and managed to get her father to promise to chop his head off. Like craziness. But it was because John proclaimed what was true to them. You see, at the root of being hated, at the root of being hated is your proclamation of what is true against what is false. Y'all see that? And if you think about the general application of the gospel to all of life as well, what does it require? What does the good news require? The bad news, if they don't hear the law of God that goes against their behaviors, if the sinner does not know that they are a sinner, then how are they ever going to know how they can be restored, how they can repent, how they can follow Jesus and have eternal life? They're never going to have that opportunity. You see, that right there alone demands conflict, demands it. And it also demands that you will be hated. See, this is why the gospel is talked about in the scriptures as a stumbling block to some. 
It is an aroma of life to some and a stench of death to others. Some people see Jesus dying on a cross for their sins and they praise God for it. Others see that and they hate it because it means that they're a bad person and they don't want to be that. They hate that somebody else would refer to them as evil. Does everybody follow? You will be hated by some, but you will also be loved by some. You will be a stench to some and a sweet aroma to others. To the degree that you are faithful to the scriptures, these two principles will play out in your life. Just make sure that you're being loved and hated for the right reason. John chapter 7, verse 12. And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said no, he is leading people astray. That's about Jesus. Jesus dealt with this exact stuff in his life. Listen, if you're a faithful Christian, you will not be accepted by everyone. You will not, okay? And if you are coloring your life as successful or a failure based on how many people love you, you are going to be gravely disappointed at the judgment on the final day. That is not the proper metric. You will be loved by some. You will be hated by others. That's it. The barometer is faithfulness to Jesus and his word. That's the right metric. Y'all see what I'm saying? All right, y'all have questions about that? What about practical stuff? When, when do you see this playing out in your life? When do you see this playing out in your life? What's that? Did you say Facebook? <laughs> That's hilarious. Every now and then I just throw something out on social media. The rest of the time it's like pictures of my kids and happy things. And then one day I'm like, Bleep, let's see what happens. And then I get 110 comments. Zanasia, what were you going to say? Yeah. Yeah, the sexual ethic is probably, I would say, the largest battlefield in this realm right now. Not the only one, you know, but the largest. But it's definitely the one because uh, in our contemporary culture, we measure sexual ethic as um, like identity. I am this. I do this. Therefore, I am this. This is who I am as a person. And so whenever you tell them, stop it. It's, it's personal, almost. Or if you're telling them what they're doing is wrong and evil, it's personal. It's immediately personalized. Well, whereas you can tell somebody, hey, you're spending your money in a stupid way. I think people would take that less personally, you know, than they would with like a sexual conflict. So that, that makes a lot of sense. I can see that a lot. What else? Did you see, how else do you see this playing out in your life today? So sexual ethics, that's a good one. <coughs> Workplace? How, Robin? Okay, it's like you have a coworker that's doing that. Yeah, and you say, hey, stop it. Yeah. Hey, you can't do that. The Bible says don't do that. Oh, you're a religious weirdo. Yeah. Uh, so we, in, uh, in our little family business, 
we have this policy where we don't work on the Lord's Day. Bloop. Like it's just that we don't work on the Lord's Day. And that makes us weird and causes conflict with clients sometimes. It's not like it's ever a surprise to them, though. Like they know in the front end, we tell them on the front end, but we've got this one client in particular who keeps wanting us to do stuff for him on the Lord's Day. It's like he just keeps forgetting almost. And we have to be like, we don't work the Lord's Day. We don't work the Lord's Day. But that means it's not going to happen until Monday. Yes, that is correct. It will not happen until Monday. That is true. Yes. You see what I'm saying? But that's a, that is a, that's a weird conflict that we exist with in the world. And, you know, we'll see if any, God brings any fruit about that. I think he will. Y'all see any other situations in your life where this plays out? The fundamental aspect of being a Christian, therefore, is being a truth teller. Okay? That's what that means. That you, you have your emotions restrained. You have God's truth at your disposal. And we apply what is true to all of our life around us. That's, that's God's fundamental role for your life, is to be a truth teller, okay? To be a truth teller. Say, this is what the scriptures say, this is how I move. I got, I got a text from somebody this week at church, and they said, basically, they were like, Pastor Stewart, how do I know if I'm doing a good job being a witness to the world around me? See, I think, I think this is where they're getting this question from. Because for a long time, we believed, and I, I say we, I mean our church and myself too. Uh, for a long time, we believed that weird quip I said earlier, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. We, we functionally be- believed that about ourselves. We functionally thought that that was how we we're going to win the world to us. Our, our faith, in other words, was like this personal thing. That we, that we just kept to ourselves. But if you go back through and you read the rest of the scriptures, if you read the whole Bible, there is not a person in there in which their faith was some personal thing that did not have ramifications on the world around them. It, it changed their family cultures. It changed the cultures of their towns. It changes the civilization around them. It changes the way that they interact with believers and with non-believers. They, they proclaimed what was true. And that was how the gospel was was put forward and advanced. Our faith is not this personal thing, in other words. It should be painfully obvious to the world around us. This is why we are fighting now very hard to build a distinctly Christian culture in our houses, in our churches, in our schools. We want people to walk in on Sunday morning into a worship service and say, something's different here. And not because we're emotionally stirred, but because we really believe what the Bible says. Okay? We want people to to come in on Sunday and see that. We want to invite people to our dinner tables and they can see based on the, we don't just pray before dinner, but we, we pray and we sing and we talk about what the Lord is doing in each one of our lives. And we talk about how we had opportunities and, and failures to advance the gospel throughout the day. There's a, there's a distinct culture in that. We want people that we go to work with to look at us and see that we labor as unto the Lord, like it's painfully obvious that we do so. Y'all following with me here? And that does also entail you proclaiming to the sinner that they are a sinner and that they should repent. Okay? That's true. That's true. It's not complicated. And I realize that for many of you, that might mean that you lose some social status. I mean, we just went through the hated and loved sections. You're, you're gonna. 
That, that might mean that you lose some, uh, some reputation. That might mean that you don't get put forward for the promotion as soon as you would like. Uh, that might mean that you get sacked altogether. But your faith is not a private, individualistic, exclusively secret thing. Your faith is public in all of life. And it affects the way that you live and how you ought to. I would wager this is why churches were deemed non-essential during all the COVID stuff. Because Christians, it was a private, secret experience. Not something that everybody recognized the ramifications of in all of life. Y'all see? What are some ways that you can practice that? What are some ways that you can build an overt Christian culture? Be specific with me. Go to church. Good job, Rosa. Rosa says go to church too. Good job. What else? No, hold on, buddy. Let's. Being hospitable, how, Jane? Let me, let me ask you this. Is hospitality in and of itself alone a good thing? Is hospitality alone a good thing? Yeah, so I had it told to me this way, and I think it's very helpful. If your house is chaos and in disorder and stressful and all these different pieces, it would not be hospitable of you to invite somebody into that, right? Don't, don't bring anybody into the chaos that you have operating right now. Instead, get your place in order, then bring people into it so that when they experience it, they experience the joy of the Lord. You following with me? Hospitality is crucial, but we want to do hospitality right. Ashley? Amen. Order means like... No, it doesn't. Um, but it, it does mean that if you're... If you are having like knockdown, drag out fights with your spouse right now, and you, that is not a time to bring somebody in. Like, restore that relationship, then invite folks in. Like, if you've got a kid who suddenly just started swinging towards the, no, I'm going to test mom and dad in every single aspect of life, including stabbing the guests. You know, like, okay, so don't invite people into that. <laughs> you know, get your stuff shored up first. But yeah, that doesn't mean your house has to be perfect. There can be a little bit of mess. That's fine. But hospitality ought to be done in a hospitable way. Does that make sense? What are some other ways you think that we could work this out practically? We're almost done. Y'all got any other ideas? What about at work? What's some real easy ways in the office to be overtly Christian? Singing psalms every morning. This is actually a thing we started practicing at page 50. It might be weird if you're in the service bay at Sterling and you just like pick up your stuff and start belting psalms out by yourself. That might be strange. Um, I don't know. Maybe give it a shot. Maybe there'd be five or six of them. Most bosses would be mad if they were paying you to sing while you were in the office. They would, they would be a little upset about that. But there's some fun things that you could try. What else? Overtly Christian. If you're a mom... And you're like going about your daily like appointments with your kids, going to the store, going to appointments, maybe health appointments, maybe this or that. 
and um, people are noticing like fruit in your family, like you're just you're just honest about it. Like that's the Lord. Thank you. That's because we're Christians. That's yeah. like not being scared to to have conversations when the Lord opens up doors in the grocery or in wherever about who you are, about what you believe, about give a reason for the faith that you possess. That's what Paul says, and you will have opportunities like that. Folks will ask you, why is your family weird? And well, we follow Jesus and we believe everything that he says is true. Um, I got one thing for you real quick and then we're going to be done here. This is an important sequence for those who are, are going to begin practicing being a truth teller in your workplace, with your family, wherever you may be. This is an important sequence of events for you to have locked into your brain. You see a person in sin. What do you do? Well, I go off by myself and I pray for him. OK, that's great. Then what? You, you confront them. You say, hey, this is what the Lord says. This is, this is what's going on in, 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 the, Lord, in, the, in the life that the, the Lord would have for you. You should repent and believe and follow Jesus. So if you see a sinner, you proclaim God's truth to them. Does it stop right there? Does it stop with the proclamation of the law? No, because if you stop with the law, you're not giving them the good news. You're giving them the bad news and you're like, bye. I mean, if you've only got time for one thing, if you've got one minute... I would err on the side of law because I think that is what our culture as a whole is missing right now. But we also need to proclaim what? The gospel. Jesus died for those sins, by the way. Everything you've done so far can be forgiven in Christ. How? Do you stop with that? Jesus died for your sins. Is that it? Is that the complete conversation? No. Because what's the last piece? You invite them to do what? Repent. You invite them to repent and believe. And I recognize that this is a terrifying place for you to envision putting yourself, especially given the fact that we have not been doing our job for the last 50 years. We have not been inviting people to repent of their sin in a private individual conversation level. We haven't been doing that. But I'd invite you to repent and believe in Jesus. You, us, me, we need to repent and believe in Jesus. We have not gone into all the world proclaiming all that Jesus has taught, that they may be discipled. We have not been following the Great Commission. We've been hoping somebody else would do it. We've been inviting people to revivals. We've been inviting people to the church so that the professionals can evangelize them. No. We proclaim God's law. We proclaim that Jesus has died for sin. And we invite people to repent and believe. If you stop short of the gospel, you're missing the point. If you only give gospel and no law, they don't know what they need to be saved from. If you proclaim law and gospel, but not the gift of repentance of faith, then you've told them the good news, but not how to access it. You see? All the pieces are essential. Law. Gospel, repent and believe. Amen? All right. Let me talk to you. Last thing, I promise. I promise. I said that like twice so far, but this is it. Last thing. And then I'm actually going to finish my notes and I can start something new for you next week. Last piece. You ready? A pro tip on cultivating that type of disposition in your life, a, a, a disposition of being a truth teller, is directly related to how secure you feel in Jesus, okay? In other words, if, if you know that Jesus is yours and you trust him and you, you follow him and you, you are comfortable with him and with all his words, to the degree that that's true, you will have the security to be a truth teller in all of life. Why? Because you have his relationship as an anchor, not the other people's relationships as anchors, you see? You know that he's with you, he's got you, he holds you up, 
and this can work out or not. That's okay. But I have Christ. You see? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you give us your words and that you teach us by the power of your word. I pray that we would receive it with joy and that we would repent and that we would proclaim the law, the gospel, and repentance and faith to all who would hear us and that we may be diligent in serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you leave, write this down. Before you leave, write this down. Acts 11, 18, 2 Timothy 2, 25. Okay? Those verses teach a very important principle. Acts 11, 18, 2 Timothy 2, 25. It teaches, and there's also Romans. I can't remember the reference in Romans. Uh, but it teaches, the Bible teaches us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, which means our responsibility is to proclaim his words and that repentance is a gift that God gives. That's 2 Timothy 2.25 and Acts 11.18. God gives the gift of repentance. So that means that your job is to proclaim what's true, invite repentance, and trust the Lord with the results and pray fervently. 2 Timothy 2.25 Acts chapter 11, verse 18. All right. Love you back. See y'all in like five minutes.